Okay, good morning. Uh, we'll go ahead and get uh, get started. Um, just a couple of housekeeping things real quickly. Uh, our state architect, Ann McGarren, will be helping us uh, kind of direct things today, so appreciate uh, your help, Ann. And just for uh, the members, if, you're, uh, if your little red light on uh, is on, then um, it's being recorded and heard, and so uh, just make sure that is on when you're speaking. Um, having detected a quorum, um, I'll call this meeting of the Capital Commission to order. And uh, Ann, please call the roll. Certainly. Commissioner Ely? Here. Commissioner Branscombe? Here. Commissioner Salyers? Here. Uh, Secretary Hargett? Here. Treasurer Lillard? Here. Comptroller Wilson? Right here. Um, and we have an absent uh, vacant position on the commission for the Tennessee Hor Historical Commission Chair. Um, Senator Johnson? Here. Uh, Representative Hill is participating electronically. You unmute the caller. Representative Hill, can you speak again? I'm here. Okay, great. Um, Mr. Gentry? Here. Mr. Hill? Here. Dr. Logan? Dr. Hampton? Present. Thank you. Um, we have 11 members participating, one electronically. Very good. Meeting's called to order. Uh, I believe we have two items on our business today. And will you please introduce the first item? Certainly. The first item on the agenda is approval of the meeting minutes from, um, from February 20th, 2020 meeting. Any changes or additions to the minutes? Everybody had a chance to look. Do I have a motion? So moved. Motion made. Do I have a second? Second. Motion made and properly seconded. Um, and please call the roll. Certainly. Commissioner Ely? Yes. Commissioner Bransko? Yes. Commissioner Salyers? Yes. Secretary Hargett? Aye. Treasurer Lillard? Aye. Comptroller Wilson? Aye. Senator Johnson? Aye. Representative Hill, please unmute the caller. Aye. Thank you. Mr. Gentry? Aye. Mr. Hill? And Dr. Hampton? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I, I was not present, so I don't know that I can confirm the minutes. I thought I might abstain. Okay. Yeah, that'd be fine. Thank you. Very good. Uh, the minutes uh, pass. And so uh, next item, please, Anna. The next item on the agenda is the consideration of the Nathan Bedford Forest bust. Thank you. Uh, just for everyone's uh, awareness, so everyone's kind of clued into uh, to the order of business. I will first be introducing the governor for brief comments. Then we will hear from state legislators followed by the general public. And after those comments, I'll be making a motion and then we'll begin discussion with the members of the commission. So uh, at this time, I'd like to call on the governor. Uh, appreciate you being here today, governor. 
Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, each one of you, members of this commission, for the role that you play, the important role that you play, difficult role that it is. Decisions that are important are oftentimes difficult. We find ourselves in positions in our life uh, that allow us, require us, um, to make those very difficult decisions that have great implications for people's lives. Uh, that, that's not only a situation we find ourselves in, it's an opportunity that we find ourselves in. I think we have an opportunity to make decisions here today that will impact not only people's lives, but our state. It's a great responsibility, and I know that I want to thank each one of you for doing the due diligence and wrestling through the process and uh, coming to decisions um, not lightly. And I appreciate very much the position that you have allowed yourself to be put in, like we all do. It's an opportunity to be leaders it's an opportunity be, to be given uh, the chance to impact. Personally, uh, I have I have made decisions in my life, particularly in the last year and a half, in the role that I have been in as governor, that I believe were in the best interest of every person in the state of Tennessee. That's how I have approached this subject. I've also approached it with a great deal of prayer, with a desire to have wisdom and discernment as required for the most important of decisions. Scripture says that we should admonish one another and do all that we can to live peacefully with the, with the, with the bond of peace and to live together in unity. And I think our nation is on a path, as it has been since its beginning, to become a more perfect union. It is a, it is a flawed union, and as it has been from the beginning, as people in it have been from the beginning, but it is on a path of becoming a more perfect union. We are on a path of continuously striving to be a nation that lives more in unity with a bond of peace. And that's how I've approached this. You all know what my recommendations have been. I believe that that is the right path for our state based on uh, this desire that I have to do the right thing for every single Tennessean. And I appreciate your interest in doing the exact same thing. So. Uh, regardless of your decisions and the, 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 the way you move on this today, I'm deeply grateful for every single one of you and your consideration in this important decision. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Governor, and uh, thank you for your leadership. And at this time, uh, will you please introduce uh, any legislators who wish to make comments, please? Certainly. Our first legislator who asked to speak is Senator Brenda Gilmore. Thank you, Senator Gilmore. 
Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, I am Brenda Gilmore, Senator, District 19, representing parts of Nashville, Davidson County. I first of all want to thank the commission for giving me an opportunity to speak. Can you hear me through my mask? Yes. Secondly, I want to publicly thank Governor Lee for taking a just and compassionate stand and asking this commission to remove the bus and place it in the museum. And lastly, those young people who have protested for 26 straight days, I wanna thank them for the sacrifices that they have made. I plead with you today, commissioners, please make today a moment in Tennessee history where we stood together for race reconciliation. Let this be the first and an important step in a long line of action we take in Tennessee to heal the divisions that have long separated black and white people in this state and in this country. I'm asking you as your colleagues of the Tennessee General Assembly, to the constitutional officers, to the businessmen, and I'm not sure if we have any female commissioners, but if we don't, I want to put a plug in that and hope that we get some soon. We do. We have Commissioner Branscombe. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. On behalf of all the black citizens who have built their homes and families in Tennessee, please vote in favor of removing the bus of Nathan Bedford Forrest from our state capitol building. When we install memorials in public places, which is made possible and maintained by taxpayers, black, white, and brown, those monuments reflect the values that unite us and the moral principles that guide our families, our society, and our state today. Confederate General and Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard Nathan Bedford Forrest do not represent the values of Tennessee. Forrest made his personal fortune by enslaving, torturing, and selling black people. He waged war against the United States of America to preserve white supremacy and slavery. And when the Confederacy was defeated and slavery was abolished, he led campaigns to further terrorize, murder, and suppress the lives of freed black people. Above all else, the legacy of Nathan Bedford Forrest represents an allegiance to white supremacy. You know his history, I won't continue to dwell on that. I don't have to retell the story of how he was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan and the reign of terror on black people by the Klan during Reconstruction. When school children visit the Capitol second floor today and see Forrest Bus, what lessons do they learn? Even a young child understands the Capitol is a special building and the deliberate placement of this bus is an obvious position of honor. Children and adults alike literally must look up to Forrest, who is perched on a pedestal as if he should be admired. The symbolism is not lost on black legislators, staff members, advocates, and citizens who frequent this building. Some of us know the slaves built the state capitol. 
Tears come to my eyes every time I get off that elevator and look at the forest bus. I can hear the whales. and the cries of over 200 surrendered soldiers. Soldiers that had surrendered and were still slaughtered by his command. Surely an unnecessary killing. I can hear the mothers and the crying children and feel the fear as the Ku Klux Klan terrorized them and burned their homes for no other reason than they were black. The role this flawed human played in history should be something that our society continues to learn from and a place where people are challenged to examine the evils of white supremacy. The goal is much better accomplished outside the people's capital in a state museum. Perhaps the women's suffrage monument would be a better celebration as we celebrate the 100 years of women having the right to vote. I'm 67 years old, and I know it's naive of me. But sometimes I ask myself, why is it that some white people hate me just because my skin is black. When Officer Chauvin kept his knee on Mr. George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I asked myself, why is it that some white people do not see black people as humans? Slavery, oppression, and bigotry are part of our American history, but we do not and should not celebrate these ideas today, nor should we glorify them with distinctions of honor in public places. <clears throat> our state and our nation have an immense amount of work to do to achieve true racial equality and justice. And while public mount monuments only play a small part in the role. Removing the forest bus from the Capitol will correct one mistake we made in 1978. Please vote in favor of removing the bus of Confederate General and Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard Nathan Bedford Forrest. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. <clears throat> The next person to speak is Representative Harold Love, Jr. Being here, Representative Love. Morning. Morning. Chairman, Governor, members of the commission. For the last two days, I have racked my brain trying to craft words that would reassure those who considered voting to remove the Nathan Bedford Forrest bust 
Persuade those who are undecided and change the minds of those who are considering not to. What came to mind was the many conversations I've had since I was last before you, with particular emphasis on the belief that what is being asked has never been done before. Then it dawned on me that I should tell you a different story this time, about a time in our history when there was another policy matter that seemed to be unreconcilable. The 19th Amendment guarantees all women the right to vote. Achieving this milestone required a lengthy and difficult struggle. Victory took decades of agitation and protest. Beginning in the mid-19th century, several generations of women's suffrage supporters lectured, wrote, marched, lobbied, and practiced civil disobedience to achieve what many Americans considered a radical change of the Constitution. Very early supporters lived to see that final victory, of course, in 1920. But beginning in the 1800s, women organized, petitioned, and picketed to win the right to vote. But it took them decades to accomplish their purpose. Between 1878, when the amendment was first introduced in Congress, and August 18, 1920, when it was finally ratified, champions of voting rights for women worked tirelessly, but strategies for achieving their goal varied. Some pursued a strategy of passing suffrage acts in each state. Nine Western states adopted women's suffrage legislation by 1912. Others challenged male-only voting laws in the courts. Militant suffragists used tactics such as parades, silent vigils, and even hunger strikes. Often supporters met fierce resistance. Opponents heckled and jailed women, and sometimes physically abused them. By 1916, almost all of the major suffrage organizations were united behind the goal of a constitutional amendment. And when New York adopted women's suffrage in 1917 and President Wilson changed his position to support an amendment in 1918, the political balance began to shift. On May 21st, 1919, the House of Representatives passed the amendment and two weeks later, the Senate followed. And then the nation turned its eyes to Tennessee. Tennessee had to become the 36th state to ratify this amendment because 35 other states had already ratified it, but they were waiting on other states to call a special meeting just to ratify it. Tennessee played a vital and pivotal role in the passage of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote in 1920. By that summer, 35 of the 36 states necessary had ratified the amendment. Eight states rejected the amendment, and five had not voted. Suffragists saw as their last best hope for ratification before the 1920 presidential election. Governor Albert Roberts called a special session of the General Assembly. And on August 9th, he asked him to consider the issue. Pro-suffrage and anti-suffrage activists from around the state and the country descended on Nashville intent on influencing the legislature. We all know the story now of Harry T. Byrne, who was sent a letter by his mother asking him to do the right thing. And he did. He changed his vote. Because previously he had voted against it to table the amendment. But then he changed his vote. And he broke the tie. And because of his vote, the suffrage movement had a ratification of that amendment. Now, there were some who believed that this was unnecessary. Anti-suffragists argued that most women did not want to vote, 
because they took care of the home and children. They said women do not have the time to vote or stay updated on politics. Some even argued that women lacked the expertise or mental capacity to offer a useful opinion about political issues. Others asserted that women's votes would simply double the electorate. Voting would cost more without adding any new value. As a matter of fact, William T. Sedgwick believed that no good could come of letting women vote. He was quoted in the New York Times by saying, it would mean a degeneration and degradation of human fiber, which would turn back the hands of time a thousand years. Think about that. A man claimed that if women were allowed to vote, it would turn back the hands of time a thousand years. Hence, he said, it would probably never come for mankind, mankind, men kind, men who weren't kind, would not likely abandon at the call of a few fanatics the hard-earned achievements of the ages. But as you can see, the country didn't go backwards. The rivers didn't dry up, and no mountains crashed into the sea. No, what happened instead was women added value not just to the electorate, but also to those who would go on to hold public office. Truth be told, can we say that if women were not allowed to vote, that there would be a Speaker Beth Harwell? Can we say that if women were denied the right to vote, there would be a Speaker Pro Tem Lois DeBerry? Can we say that if women were not allowed to vote, that there would be a Senator Brenda Gilmore? If they had given way to fear, they would have denied women the right to vote. And so I say to you once again, the nation is looking at Tennessee. Ironically, in 1920 was the end of another pandemic called the Spanish flu. And here we find ourselves in 2020 dealing with the coronavirus and also the nation looking at Tennessee. There are people on both sides of this policy issue, both elected and non-elected. And once again, like in 1920, the governor has called a special meeting to decide this issue. Yes, there have been marches, silent protests. Some have been outside for more than 25 days. There have been loud protests. There's been legislation proposed. I brought some, others brought some, and most of all, there has been the element of fear. Questions like, what will happen if we move the bust? Will there be call for others also? What happens if we honor the request of those who've been protesting? Will we be seen as abandoning our heritage? I assure you, just like in 1920, the rivers won't dry up. Mountains won't fall into the sea. The sky will not crack. The world will not end if we remove the Nathan Bedford Forest bus out of the capital of Tennessee. I promise you, we won't stop living. This will not cause our economy to crash. We will not find ourselves walking backwards, unlearning our language. It will not cause us to cease living. But if you don't remove it, if you don't remove it, well, let me answer the question that they asked. Why should they give the right to vote? 
Alice Stone Blackwell in 1896 published an article with 16 reasons, and the first was this. She said, because it's fair and it's right that those who must obey the law should also have a voice in making them. And so I just want to borrow a few of her words. Why should we move the Nathan Bedford Forest bus? Because it's fair to those of us who are the descendants of enslaved people. It's fair. So Harold Love, Jr., who was a descendant of an enslaved Myra Love and Sam Love, it's the right thing to do. It's fair and it's right because if we want to move our state and our nation in the direction of racial reconciliation, let's do what's fair and let's do what's right. And I promise you, the world won't end. Mountains will not fall into the sea and the rivers will not dry up. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Next speaker, please, Anne. The, ne the next person who's asked to speak is Representative Mike Stewart. And I'm sorry, I'm just going in order of people of the same position. That's good, that's good. Thank you, Representative Stewart. Uh, I don't have a lot to add to what's already been said. I would just speak only for the commission to know that there are few subjects in which I've received more passionate input from my constituents. I think anybody who's listening to the people of Tennessee will have an understanding that it's time to move forward. It's time to remove this bust. I receive communications from mothers and teachers, and they, they speak with the same passion that you've heard today from Representative Love and Senator Gilmore. And I just think it's very clear that this bust needs to be moved to the museum, moved from a place of honor in the Capitol. The one point I've wanted to add is as a veteran, a volunteer state, I think we have to look at the military record, Nathan Bedford Forrest and his actions at Fort Pillow, which have already been referred. He was the officer in charge that day at Fort Pillow when, when people were massacred. The officer in charge, as everybody who served in the military knows, is responsible for the actions of the soldiers under his command. Now, this is the volunteer state. We have an extraordinary history in our state of creating military heroes who have served in every war. We have numerous Medal of Honor winners. We have produced numerous citizens that could be honored in the state capitol. This particular person's military record involved an incident in which he was responsible for troops and there's no question there was a massacre of people who had laid down their arms. Okay, that's unacceptable. That is an unacceptable record for any person, for any officer. And so aside from all of the other things that disqualify Nathan Bedford Forrest from that position in the Capitol, Think carefully, I would, I would urge you to consider carefully his military record.
because his military record alone, he was not a soldier, he was not merely a participant swept up in a historic moment. He was the commander. The buck stopped with him. He was in charge that day, and he bears full responsibility as the commander for what happened. That alone, setting aside every other thing he did in his life, would disqualify him from that place of honor, particularly in the state of Tennessee, a state that has always done so much in all of our wars, has always produced, has always done more than its share, is known as the volunteer state because of our military tradition. That one event alone disqualifies Nathan Bedford Forrest from place of honor in our capital, and I urge you to give that additional consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you, Representative. Uh, next speaker, please. The next speaker is Representative G.A. Hardaway. Good morning. My colleagues, Senator Gilmore, Representative Love, Representative Stewart, Governor, Commissioners, I've toured as a speaker. There was once upon a time when I would research and write and I would have all type of lofty language and uh, verbal variances to offer. But I've learned that reading sometimes is not fundamental. Sometimes speaking from the heart is what counts. I'm going to have one portion of my conversation with you read from my texts, text messages. My young folks who are at the door, you've heard them, seen them, they can't get in for whatever reason. That's nothing new. That's what protests are all about. Demanding to be at a table that was not set for you. Demanding to participate in meetings that you weren't invited to. Demanding to be heard. My young people will be heard this morning. I have a brief text that represents the feelings of my young people as sent to me by my constituent, Amber Sherman. My friends did not get beaten virtually, and therefore they should not be forced to watch these proceedings virtually. The Nathan Bedford Forrest bus represents systemic racism and oppression. It needs to be taken down. The governor has stated it should be moved, which is what we've been saying for years. Excluding the public from the meeting today is further infringing on our rights 
as tax-paying citizens. Your vote to remove this statute today is a small step in removing racist symbols that haunted my ancestors, beat and sold my ancestors, and raped and separated my ancestors from their family. Do the right thing and remove the statue. Those are the same young folks who are making themselves heard now even though they're not at the table. You know, I do a lot of reading. One of the things that has come to me over the past couple of weeks was a piece that was very, very profound. It said simply, if you want to see a memorial of slavery and why the Civil War was fought, the resistance that goes on even today for the rights of people of color, look at me. I stand before you legally and identified as a black man. I'm of mixed heritage. I stand before you as a black man that's defined by law merely because I have African-American blood and I identify as such. I've often teased the Capitol Hill media when I say identified as. What we're living through today as a consequence of Nathan Bedford Forrest, not only what he did as a slave trader, which was brutal, which was tortuous, barbaric, to me, you can never, ever balance what he did as a slave trader, raping women, children, and men, being able to sell families in whatever portion he determined. That's wrong. It's a universal wrong. It's a timeless wrong. It can never be righted. Never. That gentleman that sits between the chambers of the Senate and the House sits in a place of honor, of reverence. Members, listen closely. If you honor and revere him and you embrace what he stands for, his values are your values. You cannot separate them. Let's get past heritage. And I'm respecting and saving my heritage. Your heritage was horrific for me. If your heritage embraced the Confederacy, 
Your heritage is responsible for my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents enduring the lasting effects of slavery. It's because of that that I stand here and tell you, you want a memorial, you want a monument, look at me. You want a monument, you want a memorial, look at Senator Gilmore. You want a monument, you want a memorial, look at Representative Harold Love Jr. We are the lasting legacy of the Civil War. Pre, antebellum, post, construction, reconstruction, Jim Crow, the modern civil rights movement. We stand here as monuments of those times. You have the opportunity today to determine how the world will look at Tennessee. Let there be no doubt about it. The coverage today will get the world's attention. If you recall, the moment when George Floyd said, I can't breathe, the collective community of the world held this breath. We're only now beginning to exhale. But his daughter sat on the shoulders of George Floyd's best friend and declared, my daddy changed the world. My daddy changed the world. It's because of that moment of seeing a man pleading for his life and being tortured and the last dying breath, literally, being squeezed out of him, that we are here today. I've had conversations with some of you, but one thing I know is the education process must continue until we're able to reorganize the thoughts of our mind will never be able to have the heartfelt connections that will let you make the right decision today to remove that symbol of hatred, that symbol of brutality, that symbol which says, I was still three-fifths of a man. I was property to be bought and sold. This is your opportunity to bring Tennessee out of the darkness of the old South and position us for greatness. Position us as a people who have come to grips with the past and no longer use symbols and statues and memorials to intimidate and harass 
people of color and other minorities. So I'll close today by asking you to do the right thing. I'll ask you to consider how disrespectful and insensitive it all is for your African-American legislators to walk past that statute. Every day we go to make law for the six million plus citizens of Tennessee without regard to that gender, race, creed, color that we have to endure that. So those of you who are of like mind, I thank you. Those of you who hold your position, it says to me I haven't done my job. It says to me I need to do a better job of communicating and educating. I thank the leadership that has come out and spoken boldly on this issue. Bottom line is they were merely doing their job. So I'll ask you to do yours, and I promise you that I will go forward working in unity with all of you so that we can do our job and serve the people of the great state of Tennessee together. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Representative. Next, next speaker. The next member to speak is Senator Joey Hensley. Thank you, Senator Hensley, for being here today. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Governor and committee members. It's, uh, I represent uh, southern middle Tennessee, six rural counties. Included in that is Murray County that is home of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. All of us know that the Civil War was a terrible time during the Civil War, after the Civil War. There were approximately 187,000 Tennesseans that served in the Confederacy actually about 51,000 that served in the Union. I had three great-grandfathers that served in the Confederacy. Uh, William Kilpatrick, who was actually a prisoner of war during the Confederacy. He, he contracted TB during the Confederacy and died after that. His wife and five children were sharecroppers on a farm after the Civil War. Uh, William Cooper was another one of my great-grandfathers. He died during the Civil War. And Ed Halbrook, he survived the war and lived on into the 19th century. All of these men and the 187,000, including Nathan Bedford Forrest, they fought to, to defend their homeland, their farms, their families, their state. They only fought because the people of Tennessee and the legislature in Tennessee voted to secede from the Union, but they only did that after Lincoln had called for troops, and Tennessee was one of the last to, to, to leave the Union. These men, including Nathan Bedford Forrest, Forrest fought to, to defend their homelands. There was suffering during the war. It was a terrible time during the, the four years during the war, after the war for, for many years. But, and Tennessee was, one, was the first state to, to rejoin the Union. Nathan Bedford Forrest is honored in that place in the capital because he was a great military general. 
after the war, he did a lot to help the freed slaves. He, he even spoke at one of their conventions. At his funeral, it said there were 10,000 white people at his funeral and 3,000 blacks at his funeral in Memphis. And it's been mentioned some of the things he did during the war. And we all know that history is written by, by the victors. It's always been said that, that there was a Fort Pillow massacre, that he massacred, surrendered soldiers. But that's just not true. It was a terrible battle. There were soldiers killed, but they were not surrendered soldiers that were massacred. That story, just like we have fake media today, they had it back then. That was during the war, and different sides make different stories. Forrest was in, in the, the Ku Klux Klan, but he was not a grand wizard, and he got out of the Klan when they started committing violence. But we honor him. To me, when, when I see the statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, I think of all the, all the soldiers, my, my great-great-grandfathers that fought for the Confederacy. They fought for their homes. Very few of them owned slaves. They fought because they were invaded and they were just defending their homelands. And Nathan Bedford Forrest's bus was put there by, we all know in the legislature, that it was put there by Senator Douglas Henry, who was a, a Civil War uh, historian. And he put it there because he wanted to balance out other, other busts that were on the, the second floor of the Capitol. And to me, that bus, Nathan Bedford Forrest, represents all the other soldiers that were in the Civil War. It was a terrible time, and we don't want to repeat it. But if we take down all of our symbols of history, of heritage, then we're going to lose our, our history. And this bust is, is only the beginning. We, we all know there's a lot of other statues, Andrew Jackson, to, to name one, who will probably be next. But Nathan Bedford Forrest will not serve any of our problems, will not fix any of the problems we have in our racial divide. And, and I think Tennessee is doing pretty well. We, we have a lot of black legislators, and, and that's obvious that Tennessee is, is uh, doing the right thing. But I implore you on the commission to vote to keep the bus there. It's been there 40 years. It's only the beginning. If you do move it, this is a long process, and it should be a long process. We've seen many of these other states, and even here, where one of the statues uh, was torn down on the Capitol grounds. We've seen what's happening in these other states. I think Tennessee needs to be a leader and show other states that it should be the past and history should be looked at it during that time. We cannot hold people in history, George Washington, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's plan was to, to colonize the freed blacks when they, they were freed to send them to colonies in other countries. Of course, Abraham Lincoln was killed, but we need to show other states Tennessee can lead, and, and it, it's right that, uh, uh, that we keep the bus there so that people do see both sides of the story. People, do, people are able to judge historical figures by the times that they lived. The times were different 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Times were different, and we can't hold these historical figures to, the, uh, to what we believe today. So I implore the commission 
to vote to, to keep the bus where it is. And thank you for letting me speak, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate it. And our final nice legislator who's requested to speak is Representative Mike Sparks. Thank you, committee. Thank you, Governor, for being here. You know, really, I guess my comments are really to the governor today. Um, I've been a lawmaker for 10 years. I was a county commissioner for, for eight years. Um, history is important to this great state. The governor knows it. Every one of you know it. These lawmakers, both Democrat and Republican, know it. Um, tourism, Tennessee tourism represents $22 billion to this state. $22 billion. And I like something that the governor, that the governor had mentioned in a quote that I had just seen. Um, from our thriving cities to our beautiful rural landscapes and everything in between, Tennessee has solidified its place as a leader in tourism across the great state. Our booming tourism sector has outpaced the nation in every category. World-class food, music, adventure are just a few things that folks find when they come to Tennessee. And thankfully, folks are visiting this remarkable place more than ever. I'll argue that many of those folks that are coming here, not only for our music, but for the history, for the battlefields that we have in my community, to see, to see my courthouse, to see this state capitol, to visit that beautiful new state museum, Governor. Um, you know, the scripture, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, and I know that's come across your mind, hasn't it, Governor? For such a time as this. Um, <clears throat> as a young county commissioner, I didn't know that much about history, to be honest with you, but I've become really good friends with our local historian, Ernie Johns. Ernie was a great guy, and um, I'd heard he was never one's, no one's yes man, Ernie Johns. I asked our police commissioner, in fact, I'm speaking at her funeral, Saturday morning, she was the first police chief in Smyrna, or in the state, Sally Walls, first uh, female officer in Smyrna uh, back in 1980. Uh, she passed away this week, kind of a mentor of mine. But I asked Sally about this guy. I said, um, what about this Mr. Ernie Johns? Tell me about Ernie Johns. Sally was really kind of an old Democrat, to be honest with you, Governor. And um, she was a woman that's strongly independent, grew up poor. And uh, she said, he's no one's yes man. He's no one's yes man. So I took him to lunch, bought him coffee. And he started telling me a little bit about history. And he told me this, the raid at the courthouse in Rutherford County, the raid at the courthouse. There was innocent civilians that were going to be executed during the Civil War. I had never heard these stories. And Ernie had, uh, Mr. Johns told me, he said, um, uh, the story I understand is that Forrest, with his cavalry, sees some women crying, and um, he was like, what's, what's wrong? And she's, they're like, well, the Union forces have our husbands and our brothers and our sons up there, and they're threatened to be executed. And he's like, I'll have your, your uh, family members home by tomorrow. I don't know if it was 8 o'clock or 12 o'clock. But my understanding of the story, the way I've always heard it, was he had 56 black troops that rode with him. He was 56 or 65. To me, that's remarkable. That's a story that needs telling. If he had black troops that rode with him, what's up with this? I didn't know that. Well, Mr. John shared a lot of that stuff with me. He freed those folks, by the way. And um, he was a remarkable uh, military tactician, no doubt, Dr. Hensley, he really was. But here's something that was really alarming to me, um, Governor, and I really appreciate you being here. Um, God bless you for all that you do. You're going to suffer persecution like we suffer persecution sometimes. Sometimes telling the truth gets you some persecution, you know. But here's something that happened to me. I went to MTSU. I spoke to some students there, the protesters, over the Forest um, ROTC building. You know, that was in the media a few years ago. 
So I went and I went to speak and I picked up a little bit about history the past 18 years being in, in public service. And I spoke to the protesters. There was about 120 protesters there, Governor, maybe 120, 150. College educated, graduating, sadly with probably 25 to $30,000 worth of debt. That's a whole other issue we need to work on, Governor. $1.7 trillion in student debt today. I wish those protesters would be protesting that because we sure need some voices for it, Governor. But I talked to these protesters and I asked them four questions. And I said, who was Samson Keeble? Who was Samson Keeble? Sadly, I bet many of you in this room don't even know who Samson Keeble was. Sadly, those students didn't know, Governor. No hand went up. I said, raise your hand if you know who Samson Keeble is. Nobody knew Senator Gilmore. Nobody knew GA. Nobody knew Harold. Nobody knew uh, Stewart. Nobody knew. I think people need to know. I think people know, need, need to know who Samson Keeble was. Well, none of them knew. And I said, well, he was the first state lawmaker, state Tennessee. He was a Republican and a Confederate soldier. People didn't know that. The story is not told. I think stories need to be told. Everyone has a story in here. Then I asked him, who was John Newton? Who was John Newton? Do y'all know who John Newton was? Just let me just ask. Raise your hand if you know who John Newton was. Man, this is sad. People don't know who John Newton was. I know some of y'all do. You just not raise your hand, you know? Okay. Well, nobody knew. And I said, well, John Newton was a slave ship captain. He was sold into slavery at one time. He wrote to him Amazing Grace. He wrote to him Amazing Grace. We all know that hymn. At least we hope you do. We've all sang it. I don't want to ban it, that's for sure. It was written by a slave ship captain. Man had a story of redemption, story of redemption. We all got stories of redemption. And one area I like what the governor's doing, criminal justice reform. I don't think we need to be mass incarcerating people. We have more inmates in the nation than any other country on the face of the earth. Please report that, uh, you journalists in here. You're doing something about it. You want to educate these people. I applaud you for it. I know y'all are for that. I'm for it. Let's turn a man's life around. Everyone has a redemptive story. Matthew Charles had a redemptive story. Um, Y'all remember him at the Trump um, speech. Um, but sadly, no students knew this. Then I asked him, who was William Wilberforce? Who was William Wilberforce? Y'all know who William Wilberforce was? Okay. I know the governor does. I know Trey does. I'm sorry, Secretary of State, Hargett. <laughs> and... Um, Nobody knew who William Wilberforce was, and I was just amazed. But I was saddened, Governor. I was saddened, Senator Gilmore. I was saddened, Representative Love. That's sad. Students graduating. And I hope these protesters study who was William Wilberforce. He freed the slaves in Great Britain. He fought tirelessly to free those slaves. He suffered mockery and persecution from his fellow British lawmakers. No one knew. Then I asked them, who had the most African-Americans at their funeral? Who was it? Who was it? Does anybody know who probably had the most African-Americans at the funeral? Dr. Hanley. Who was it? Nathan Bedford Forrest. I was studying history. I was like, whoa, is this true? Did Nathan Bedford Forrest really have three to 5,000 African-Americans pay honor at his funeral? Whoa, that's amazing to me. And here's what, no student knew this, but here's where it gets really cool. Senator Johnson, this is what's so cool. You journalists, this is what's so cool. After the speech, I'm sitting there, 
Well, here come the main protester. The main protester, he was the hellraiser of the bunch, okay? He was, I mean, he was hell. Go to Channel 5, go to YouTube, you'll see him. Got the goatee. He comes up and he says, Representative Sparks, is that why there's William Wilberforce University in Ohio? He was inquisitive. He was the main protester. He came up with two frat brothers. I said, yeah, this is why I need to know your history, who William Wilberforce was, freeing the slaves. These guys that went before us, they gave me, they gave me encouragement. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't be speaking here today. I wouldn't have the courage to, to be here, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm speaking in front of the governor. This could be very intimidating for me. Um, but give God the glory for it. I'm not intimidated. But what was so cool with that protester and those two frat brothers, you know what he asked me, Governor? He says, Representative, can I be your intern? Whoa, does that not get pretty cool? Can I be your intern? The main hellraiser, the main protester. Which was an odd question, you know, for me. I'm like, well. So I went and he had interned for Pat Marshy earlier up here. Knew he looked familiar. So I asked, I checked around on him. And here's what one of the assistants told me. One of the assistants said, I said, what about this young man? She said, you know, I don't think he really knows his dad. I think he's looking for guidance, Governor. I think that young man's looking for guidance. I think many of these protesters are looking for guidance. He became an intern. One of the first things I sat down and told him, I said, man, if you're going to protest, don't do nothing crazy. Don't break no windshields. Don't burn no cars because you're going to be looking for a job one day. You're looking for a job. And this is where it gets really interesting, Governor. And I know you're a believer. Uh, most people in here, I would say, are believers. Most people in here believe in forgiveness. Um, it's a powerful tool. And when I was, at the, when I was running for re-election, he wanted to help me on my campaign. I didn't want to get him involved. And um, I want to invite him. And I was worried about the media. To be honest with you, I was worried about the media, Governor. What would they think of me inviting this young protester? This is where God had a plan, Governor. I get up there, my intern had seen him, she got hired, and she, she said, hey, um, Brandon's up here, he's looking for you. He just mysteriously showed up. He was my guest on the House floor, y'all probably remember, when he was my guest. I couldn't introduce him because it was so busy that day, you know, but the next morning, ironically, we sang Amazing Grace. You remember that, Representative Love? We sang Amazing Grace. I thought it was really untimely, you know, for that to happen. Well, that, that, little, that little song gave me a little encouragement. And I grabbed the microphone and I stood up and I said, y'all see a young protester with me? Young, young guy with me, he was a protester at MTSU. And on the floor, on the state capitol house, I said, there's gotta be a story of redemption with Forrest. There has to be a story of redemption. If he had 3,000 to 5,000 African-Americans speak at his funeral. And what was cool, Governor, I said there's a story of redemption. And I said, God's going to use that young man, that protester. God's going to use that young man one day. I predict it. I'm trying to get a Republican Party for the Democrats said get a hold of him. And I said that on the House floor, too. Three days later, you know what I got in the, in the mail, Governor? I know you're a believer, so you get this. You understand this. Remember I said there's a story of redemption with Forrest? I got a book in the mail called Nathan Bedford Forrest Redemption. So I seen this man as a teacher, Jim Gifford, in Rutherford County. I said, how'd you know to mail me that, that book? I seen him eight months later. He says, Representative, I just seen it on my bookshelf and thought I'd mail it to you. Pretty strange, pretty strange. But here's what I want to share with you real quick. Because history matters, folks, history matters. Factual evidence matters. My mom's from Scotland. I think some of the Scotch-Irish also helped to build that, that capital with um, uh, 
Mason workers, and um, she's Catholic, born at the foot of Edinburgh Castle. My mom always told me the clan's after us because we're Catholic, seriously. I used to hear that from, from my own mom. So my forefathers didn't fight to be oppressive. You know, my dad's from Oklahoma. He's passed on. But here's a speech I want to read to you, and I'm hoping everybody understands this speech or heard the speech. Ladies and gentlemen, I accept the flowers as a momentum re reconciliation between the white and colored races of the southern states. I accept it more particularly as it comes from a colored lady, for if, it, if there is any on God's earth who loves the ladies, I believe it is myself. They say there was immense laughter and applause. I came here with the jeers of some white folks. Jeers, I'm assuming he was made fun of. Um, you know, says, I've come here with the jeers of some white folks who, I th who think I'm doing wrong. I believe I can exert some influence and do much to assist the people in strengthening fraternal relations. And I shall do all in my power to elevate every man to depress none. I want to elevate you to take positions in law office, in stores, on farms, and wherever you're capable of going. I have not said anything about politics today. I don't propose to say anything about politics. You have a right to elect who you please, vote for the man who you think is best, and I think when that is done, you and I are free men. Do you consider right and honest in electing men for office? I did, I did not come here to make you a long speech, although invited to do so by you. I'm not here, much, I'm not much of a speaker. My business prevented me from preparing myself. I come to meet you as friends and welcome you to the white people. I want you to come near to us. When I can serve you, I will do so. But we have one flag, one country. Let us stand together. Let me repeat that. But we have one flag, one country. Let us stand together. We may differ in color, represent love, but one in sentiment. Many things have been said about me which are wrong and which white and black persons here who stood by me through the war can contradict. Go to work, be industrious, live honestly, and act tru truly. And when you're oppressed, I'll come to your relief. Wow, that was for saying that? I thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for this opportunity to have afforded me to be with you. And I assure you that I am with you with heart and in hand. And it says at the end, by the way, that was Nathan Bedforce that gave that speech. At the end, he said he thanked um, a Miss Lewis for a, a bouquet of flowers she presented him, and he kissed her on the cheek. That's history, folks. History matters. And I'll tell you something else that really matters, and I want to challenge my lawmakers. I want to challenge my own party. I want to challenge my party. We got a lot of oppression going on in this state right now, Governor. Tidal Pond industry, payday loans, they unfairly target minorities. Did you know that, Senator? You know that, Mike? Do you know that, GA? GA, do you understand that? The payday loans, title ponds, do you understand that? They unfairly target minorities. Stories need to be told. I got a call this morning from a lady, Miss Helen. Go to YouTube, type in Miss Helen, predatory lending, folks. Miss Helen, predatory lending. She thought it was a, okay. We're, well, some other people got off subject, so I'm staying on subject. We're talking about oppression. We're talking about modern-day slavery, which is this financial situation. We're in 133% interest. Watch it on YouTube, Governor. Miss Helen, predatory lending. 
Yesterday, and I'll leave you with these remarks. Yesterday, I got a call from an elderly lady. She was 85. She worked tirelessly for about four years to come up with a marker about an old church in our community called the, the Enon Springs Meeting House, Enon Springs Meeting House. Governor, she raised $1,500. Someone stole it, they think, yesterday or the day before. Why would you steal that? And the irony is Samson Keeble was born probably three football fields from this marker. But Samson Keeble needs to be recognized. I think, Governor, I think of some nice videos, some nice documentaries, some nice stories. Uh, let GA give his spiel about Fort Pillow, and then I'll bring my historians up and give factual testimony, okay? Fun to film. If you're going to move this bus, I don't know. I don't know how y'all are going to vote, um, but if you're going to move Forrest, I, I don't know where you stop. Is Samson Keeble next? He was Republican Confederate soldier. Is he next? Is Sam Davis next? Sam Davis was from my community. Is Andrew Jackson next? A lot of arguments for, for Andrew Jackson's to be moved. I'm not making it, but I'm saying if you're going to do this, please fund a film, fund the truth that can be out there. And let's settle some of this stuff, and let's believe in forgiveness, reconciliation. Sadly, Governor, it probably ain't going to end with this bust. It'll be something different. They'll come up with something more, you know. But I want to challenge my Democrat lawmakers. Look at the predatory lending. Look at it. It unfairly targets African Americans, single females, five times more than any other group. Let's have some courage and conviction. Let's go after that. Thank you, Governor, for all you do. Thank you, Representative. So let me just say, as we move into uh, this comment period from the public, that uh, what the, the reason that uh, we, we went to electronic was, was simply for health and, and safety. Uh, so um, there was no way we could have more people in, in this room. And so just want to make sure everybody was uh, aware of that. Um, and so it, everybody that will be speaking, I think we've got six speakers that are lined up that uh, have been uh, made aware ahead of time. We've, I, I think we've got three minutes. Um, Ann's telling me eight speakers signed up. So, uh, so we'll, we'll get through this and then um, move on to, uh, to take the other action. So. And I, I do want to state that in the members' packages, there are a number of people who are planning to speak and have already spoken and those who chose not to speak but instead send in written comments. So in the, members pack, in the members package is a letter from Senator Brenda Gilmore, a statement to the members from Dr. Timothy L. Wesley, a statement to the members from Ashley King, a statement on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Tennessee from Marriott Ott, President, League of Women Voters President, um, a statement for the members from Lynn Egan, and a statement to the members from David McCormick, as well as a letter from former Senator Thelma Harper. So all of those things were in the package that was given to the members today. Making all those part of the record, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you. The, um, so the first person for the public speaking is Mr. Robert Jackson. If you can unmute Mr. Robert Jackson and put him on the screen. Mr. Jackson, 
Um, the members of the public, I think the chair set a time limit of three minutes. Commissioner, is that correct? Yes, please. Go so ahead. we also have a timer up there with you so you can have a good sense of how long you have to speak to the commission. Um, so thank you, Mr. Jackson. Great, and, uh, and like we talked about before my time begins, uh, can I ask the chair a, uh, a formal question regarding uh, a speaker's minutes? Yes. Um, is the chair willing to include a speaker's written remarks in the records given the nature um, of this electronic meeting? And I'm sure you would agree the historic nature of it um, in the remarks. There have been um, words dropped from the governor and several state legislators um, and I'm sure they would like their remarks to be uh, reflected in the record. Make written remarks part of the uh, record. If so, timely child, uh, I figure she might, might add. Um, well, okay, I'll begin my formal remarks. My name is Robert Jackson, and I'm here today because I believe there is something quite telling about the one thing that George Floyd and Nathan Bedford Forrest have in common. Neither man is still breathing today. Yet we are here confronting the breath taken from George Floyd and the breath given by this commission to Nathan Bedford Forrest. It has been too often in our nation's history that our movements for justice have ended at the hands of an assassin. Don't forget this state marks one of those spots. But I tell you now, that won't happen that way. Not with this movement. You see, this has been designed so that the generations themselves are the torchbearers of truth and not one man alone. So let there be no question by anybody today, we have studied history, and it is incumbent upon our leaders to hear a sick nation's cry for a third reconstruction. Black lives matter. Our statues are like symptoms, and as the first grand wizard of the KKK, Nathan Bedford Forrest wiped out all the gains of the first reconstruction, and he was so effective that first time that white supremacists in the 1970s chose him as their symbol of hate and oppression. Now, mind you, I have no illusions that removing this statue will ensure racial equity. Now, while today this state have, has maybe considered what a black child feels as she stands in her state capitol, know that we have yet to ensure equal justice to the voices of the black and the accused. It is time to end qualified immunity for police officers in Tennessee. It is time to end the mass incarceration of black and brown communities across this state. And it is time to restore the vote to those who have served their time in our prisons. Now, commissioners, to you, I am reminded only of the poem that was recited on the House floor by a man born the son of sharecroppers the late, the honorable Chairman Elijah Cummings. It says, I have only but a minute, 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, I did not choose it, but I know that I must use it, give account if I abuse it, suffer if I lose it. Only a tiny little bit, but eternity is in it. Commissioners, you and I only have a minute. And I just ask, that you use your minute to give hate less space in our capital and remove Nathan Bedford Forrest. Thank you. Thank you. We'll move to the next speaker, please.
The next speaker is Dr. Williams from TSU. If you could unmute and turn on Dr. Williams. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is LaRotha Williams, Jr. I am Associate Professor of African-American Public History at Tennessee State University. I also have the honor of serving as the founding coordinator of the North Nashville Heritage Project, where I and my students um, explore the history of African-Americans in the Music City. I'm a scholar who was formerly trained in the history of the U.S. Civil War and Reconstruction and African-American Studies at Florida State University, where I earned my doctoral degree in history in 2003. I am also a veteran of the Gulf War. And according to my best estimate, my ancestors were brought to America and changed during the 1790s. I want to speak to you for a second about the bus of Nathan Bedford Forrest, my thoughts and visceral reactions to it as a student of history, and why it could be immediately removed from the state capital to a museum. Although the volunteer state began integrating public spaces in the 1960s, the placement of this bust of Forrest in a position of prominence at the Capitol in 1978 was tantamount to placing a gold-plated white, whites-only sign on state property. From its elevated position, this golden totem encompasses a carefully crafted false narrative of the lost cause and enshrined in the capital, the spirit of white supremacy for the next 40 years. To say that Forrest is deserving of this space, one must overlook significant events in his life and ignore the voices of people he victimized. A description of, a Memphis, of his Memphis slave pen notes that women were often stripped naked and with a bucket of salt water standing by in which they dipped the instruments of torture a heavy leather thong. Their backs were cut up until the blisters covered the whole surface. The blood of their wounds mixing with the briny mixture to add to the torment of infliction. The placement of the bus in this space requires one to mute the cries of the people he victimized. Some might laud his skills as a leader, but I humbly submit to you that when you read the accounts of Fort Pillow, such as that of UCT soldier Elias Falls, who remembered. They killed all the men after they surrendered until orders were given to stop. They killed all they came to, white and black, after they surrendered. You must concede when you gaze upon that bus every day that you're looking at a leader who ordered his men to engage in war crimes. Lastly, to justify the placement of this bus here in the Capitol, you must forget that Forrest led a terrorist organization in the post-Civil War era, one that victimized both Black and white Tennesseans. You must mute accounts like those given by recently freed John Lawson, who remembered, the morning I started for Nashville and within a quarter mile from where I started, I found a man hanging up by the feet. He had been skinned and discount the fact that their dependents are still amongst us today. Um, I submit to you that you should remove the bus and do so immediately. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Next speaker is Dr. Wesley of Austin P. State University. 
Uh, good morning, and thanks for the opportunity to speak to everyone today. Um, I am Timothy Wesley, Associate Professor of Civil War Era History at Austin P, and I'm also the History Education Coordinator there. Um, I would first begin um, by saying that these statues are not history. Statues and busts are statements. Um, the decisions about statues and busts, the deliberations, the debates, that's the history, and we are engaging in that history. Um, that's the history that you're engaged in today as a commission. Public monuments represent what the people who put them up hope to convey, what, um, um, you know, what they wanted to promote, what uh, values they wanted to endorse. And so this bust was um, dedicated more than 100 years after Forrest died. So I think that's a something to remember. Um, and so in this slide, I would just say, what will you be saying to history um, if you vote to keep it in the Capitol? Um, if you're not championing a lost cause, an embarrassing lost cause take, I might say, um, uh, in keeping it then, are you saying that you will not be bullied by the moment in our history to remove the bust? The study and science of history is about change over time. You will not be remembered for removing this bust because it somehow happened in response to a momentary uh, moment's pressure. Instead, you will be celebrated because you finally corrected an error that has stood for over 40 years by removing a bust that has been opposed by many ever since it was erected and whose removal is supported by an overwhelming majority of Tennesseans today. Or are you saying that the state capitol is a place to educate? Um, the halls and foyers and rounds of capitol buildings are places of honor not education per se, and I don't know anyone who earnestly believes otherwise. But if this is your assertion, I would say you are not wrong in one sense. For the presence of Nathan Bedford Forrest in the Tennessee State Capitol has taught Tennesseans something to be sure. Unfortunately, the lesson taught has been that the veneration of perfidious Tennesseans of the past, when and if their treachery was offered in the name of white supremacy, as was the very essence of the Confederacy, make no mistake, well, that's apparently meant more to this legislative body than has the happiness and comfort and emotional well-being of all Tennesseans. Let that no longer be the case. Move the fourth bust to the state museum or his birthplace or private museum. Replace him with a worthy Tennessean, no matter how flawed, perhaps, but one who worked to make the United States better and not one who worked to render it asunder. And lastly, allow me a personal note. I was born in Harriman City Hospital, raised in Oakdale in Morgan County, educated as an undergrad and as a master's student at Tennessee Tech. I've taught for years in Sumner County Public Schools, and now I'm Austin P. I'm about as Tennessean in origins as it gets. And I remember how embarrassing it was when this bust went up in 78. Um, as a scholar of the Civil War era today, and still a very proud Tennessean, it is even more embarrassing and really shameful that it's still there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Next speaker. The next speaker is Lynn Egan. If you could unmute and put Miss Egan on the screen. Miss Egan, we can't hear you. the next speaker and we'll come back okay we're going to go to the can next you hear me now? oh we can okay. hear you now miss egan 
you for allowing me to speak today. Thank you to the governor and to the commissioners. My name is Lynn Egan. I'm a retired corporate attorney, a private citizen. I know that our Tennessee history is long and the choice about the things that we choose to honor is important because it says who we are to the world. I do not support the wholesale tearing down of monuments. I think that these things need to be considered carefully with reflection and with qualified objective experts before they be removed. But my request today to the commission is that the bus be removed to a museum where verifiable facts can be set out by historians to tell his story. First of all, Forrest's character is not worthy of our capital. A lot of things have been said about this already. He uh, was a traitor. Uh, he was the commander when the atrocities occurred at Fort Pillow, and he was the first leader of the Klan. Uh, another thing is that slavery and Jim Crow, which he fought to maintain, were an absolute horror show and could only be operationalized through a system of terror. Uh, the typical tools included murder, torture, rape, and selling of family members. Two things stand out to me as a woman and mother, the use of rape as a weapon of terror, and the fact that some slaveholders actually sold their own children into slavery. And I can't think of anything more depraved than that. And for that reason alone, I think he's got to go from our capital because that is the system that he promoted. But we've got this issue in the South of the conflict between the horror of slavery and the desire to honor those who fought for it. Uh, many slaveholders became pillars of their community, yet the horrors put them in a tough spot because the problem was how do you hold your head high in the public square after you participated in such a system? You are a pillar and a villain at the same time. And the answer was that a narrative needed to be created to somehow make this okay so people could hold their heads up. And the narrative involved uh, determining what, what could be put into textbooks and uh, also putting up monuments such as the Forest Monument. So it is time now for our state to square our moral beliefs against murder, rape, torture, and selling of children with our actions and symbols, and to focus not on the people who try in vain to defend the horror of that time, but to the sentiments of those who were wronged by slavery. William Faulkner in a 1955 historical association meeting includes encouraged attendees to speak now to urge Southerners to accept the end of white supremacy with dignity and goodwill. Faulkner was asking the attendees to show leadership to prepare Southerners for change. So I am asking where are our leaders today? And I earnestly hope that they are in this room. I urge you to speak now against the symbol of forest that mars our state capital, simply because there is no honor in it. Thank you very much. And I also urge you to speak personally with our historical commissioners so we can get this done. Thank you. The next speaker is Mr. Ashley King. If you could unmute and put up Mr. King.
Hello? Can you hear me? We can hear you, Mr. King. Oh, we could hear you, but now we can't. Whatever you just did. Members of the commission. We can hear you. Members of the commission, my name is Ashley King. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and I work at the Terry Clayton Associates Law Firm. I am for the removal of the bus of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest and for all symbols of white supremacy from the Tennessee Capitol. Just Google it. For the last few years, on the first day of session, I have peacefully and respectfully protested near the bus of the proprietor of the Forest and Maple Slave Mart, Nathan Bedford Forrest, not only calling for its removal, but all symbols of white supremacy from this Tennessee capital. This year, on the first day of session, while peacefully and respectfully protesting near the bus of traitor, terrorist, butcher for pillow, Nathan Bedford Forrest, I was approached by a group of young school children. They asked, why was I protesting? I replied, Google it. They did and joined in. The children peacefully and respectfully called for the removal of all symbols of white supremacy from the Capitol. Members of the commission, Google it and join the children and peacefully and respectfully calling for the removal of child sex trafficker Traitor, terrorist, Victor Ford Pillow, Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, Grand Dragon, and Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, and all symbols of white supremacy from the Tennessee Capitol. Members of the commission, just Google it and remove the bus. Thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. Next speaker, please. The next speaker is, um, do we have Mr. Ramsar? Ready yet? Okay, the next speaker is Mr. Ramsar. If you could unmute him and get him on the phone, on the screen. Can't tell whether you have me or not. Mr. Ramsar, we can hear you. Got you, Alan. Go okay, ahead. good. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Eagle. Uh, this is Alan Ramsar. Uh, I am uh, here as a today is the treasurer of the of Tennesseans for historical justice. Um, THJ is an organization that's about a year and a half old, uh, founded to provide, um, founded to uh, seek and to discover the truth about racial violence in Tennessee, and then to uh, use those incidents of violence to begin to discuss reconciliation and uh, healing. Um, our group um, works with several local remembrance projects and is um, there's no formal affiliation with those nor with the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, but uh, that's the Equal Justice Initiative from Montgomery, Alabama is the other organization with which is a loose affiliation. Our group uh, um, met, early, made, met late, late last week as this issue began to emerge again and the ability that the Capitol Commission would hear it and um, resolved that uh, we would 
support any effort to remove the any indicia of honor for Bedford Forest from our public spaces, including removal of the bust from the state capitol. Um, we know that um, from the testimony of our um, Black, fellow black citizens, um, that the placement of the statute in the Capitol provides it, or uh, it indicates enormous pain um, and is um, a terrible insult uh, to them um, as they begin to exercise their, uh, their rights within the Capitol. We also know that, um, as Ken Paulson said in a very fine column in Tennessee this week, that uh, these statues, uh, including the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, is a billboard to racism from the 20th century. So we urge removal of the statue from the Capitol and find the removal of the statue uh, as proposed by Governor Lee as a welcome step um, in removing Lee, removing uh, forest from um, a place of honor in Tennessee. Thank you very much for the opportunity to appear today. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. And the next speaker is Mr. Larrick Johnson. If you could unmute him and put him on the screen. lost him any other speaker yeah we appear to have lost him then the then the final speaker is mr. Doug Jones good morning Check on Larry Johnson hello yes you're there go ahead who is this speaking right now this is Doug Jones okay Doug thank you okay Thank you, uh, Governor, Mr. Chairman, members of the commission. I represent the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Uh, just for the record, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, our local chapter is the chapter that provided the bus to the state. Uh, let me say this and be very clear. Uh, Tennesseans oppose racing American history. And I would suggest to you today, be very blunt and straightforward. Please don't play word games in your deliberations. You're about to do that. You're about to race part of our history. And you know what I'm saying? If it quacks like a duck, if it flies like a duck, if it waddles like a duck, it's a duck. And that's what you're about to do. You're about to race history. And you can call it whatever you want. You can use sophisticated expressions, but it's erasing American history. And I'd submit to you, millions of Tennesseans are against that. I would point out, that today we oppose the removal of General Forrest's bust. Today, our country is facing anarchy, and it's clear, and you've already heard speakers discuss it. President Jackson's next. They want to take down everything on Capitol Hill. You need to understand that. You're getting ready to go down a slippery slope. They want to get inside the Capitol and, and take that down. And 
you need to be prepared for that with this decision today. Uh, this is consistent. What our country's seeing today is consistent with what happened in Russia in 1917 with the communists, the Nazis in 1938, and the Taliban. You erase history, you erase culture, and then you take over. And that's what we're seeing in our country today. And all due respect, yesterday, the city of Jackson, Mississippi, took down Jackson's statue. And you know what they're going to want to do with our statue on the Capitol? It's coming. Look what they did with General Grant's monument in San Francisco, who was not a hero of the South. Rather, he helped defend the South. Abe Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, George Washington, go on and on. This is anarchy. This isn't anything to do with Confederates. Now, let me say this in response to uh, Fort Pillar. Congress looked at it twice. Congress found the Union Army never surrendered at Fort Pillar. Congress found nothing against General Forrest. I'm going to hush and wrap up my conclusion by saying Tennesseans are overwhelmingly against removing statutes. They're against removing statutes. Tennesseans want to protect their history. It's not perfect. It is flawed. And some of the speakers this morning are correct. It is flawed, but it's Tennessee history. You erase history today, you erase the truth. Please vote against this. Thank you. We, um, we you actually do. Yeah, we do have Mr. Johnson. Okay. Um, and he's available to speak. So if you would connect him. Mr. Johnson, we can't hear you. You've got to talk. Mr. Johnson? Evan before. We, he texted and they said they had him in the back and he texted me that said he, he was on and he could speak. He did not submit any written remarks. So. Yeah, so uh, we, we will contact Mr. Johnson and make sure we have his written remarks uh, for the record. Unfortunately, we're not able to get him, it sounds like. Uh, okay, that concludes, um, that concludes our public comments uh, time period. And, and just for the record, with the exception of there, Mr. Johnson, every, every individual who asked uh, to, to, to speak uh, has been heard today. And so, um, so I appreciate the indulgence of the members of this commission. With that, um, the next, next thing I'm gonna do is to uh, make a formal motion and um, move into our discussion among the commission members. And as I do that, um, it's, a, it's a fairly technical uh, motion. And so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do that now and then uh, I'll make some brief remarks and then we'll open the floor. So I move that the Capitol Commission petition the Tennessee Historical Commission for a waiver allowing the bust of General Nathan Bedford Forrest to be moved from the Tennessee State Capitol to the Tennessee State Museum, stating as its basis the historical or other compelling public interest in giving full context to the complicated life and legacy 
of Nathan Bedford Forrest by moving his bus from the second floor of the state capitol to the Tennessee State Museum, where the purpose is to see and understand our history in full, and that the commission direct the following action in connection with the seeking of this waiver. That the Capitol Commission staff prepare under the supervision of the chair a petition for waiver citing the aforementioned basis for the waiver and the supporting report incorporating Governor Lee's remarks yesterday and today is material and substantial need for the waiver based on historical or other compelling public interest and that the chair of the Capitol Commission or his designees file and pursue this petition for waiver and supporting report through the waiver process set forth in Tennessee Code Annotated Section 4-1-412, including but not limited to through the Tennessee Historical Commission hearing and decision process and to take any such action, other action, as might be necessary or appropriate to accomplish the purpose of this motion. Do I have a second? Second. Mr. Gentry seconds. Um, I'm going to make some brief comments and then uh, we'll open for uh, other discussion on the floor. We certainly are all aware, I think, of the gravity before us today uh, for this issue. And we understand that this conversation involves much more than just a statue. Each one of us uh, that are part of this commissioner certainly come from a different place. I grew up in Cheatham County in the, in the 60s, and it just so happened that the beginning of elementary school um, was the first year that uh, we had integration there in Cheatham County that I attended. And that experience made me certainly acutely aware that the unspoken rules um, legally kept us together, but practically kept us apart. While it has been said that uh, a lot about different opinions here today, I certainly respect those that feel that the bust should ma be maintained in the state capitol, where it is clear to me also that this buck, uh, bust is a stark reminder of the painful ideology and way of life that has caused tremendous anguish and distress on many African Americans. The forest bust has created tension between history and symbolism, as we heard the governor say today, symbols matter. They're not just snapshots of history, they're windows into what we value. So today, I'm here to vote not to turn our backs on history. Indeed, we must never forget this part of history, and we must learn from it to ensure that we do not relive it. By taking this action today, this body will be placing the bust in the State Museum where we and those who come after us will hear that full story. This is just the first step in a, in a long process, but I am hopeful. I am hopeful that from our action today, we will provide new opportunities, new conversations for building relationships that have been damaged and for living out the real meaning of the words of our founding documents that all men are created equal. So as we move forward, um, I'd like to offer uh, for, the, uh, for the record this letter um, from 
State Senator retired Thelma Harper, as well as a letter from the family of uh, Senator Henry. And uh, with that, I'll uh, open the floor for discussion from members. Chairman, I'll be happy to speak. I'll take this off for a moment. Commissioner Branscombe, you're recognized. Chairman, as a lifelong Tennessean, I consider it an honor to sit on this member as, as a member of this commission and to participate in deliberations related to the review and approval of the monuments, statues, sculptures, and other memorials erected in and around our capital. I have listened with great interest today to Governor Lee's remarks, and I've appreciated significant points by others who have spoken, especially Senator Gilmore's eloquent and heartfelt words. Representatives loves and hardaways call to do the right thing. I've also followed closely in the news media the debate about the forest bust and its future, both recently and in 2017 when a motion related to this bust was last heard by the commission. Additionally, I've tried to read every email, every letter, and the notes from every phone call from people across our state, even a few that came from outside of our state. I deeply appreciate the rich history of our state, and I agree with those who say that studying history is important if we want to understand why we are the way we are. Shortly after I became commissioner of the Department of General Services, I had the opportunity to tour our magnificent Tennessee State Museum. I was struck by its impressive section on the Civil War, and I viewed the display related to the life and career of Nathan Bedford Forrest. While I think it's important to talk about what happened in 1978 in the installation of the bust, I think it's more important for us to pay closer attention to the views and perspectives of the present with an eye toward what, our what message our state capital might convey to current and future generations of Tennesseans. The truth is a simple bust, no matter where it is located, cannot tell Nathan Bedford's story in a meaningful way. Forrest was admired by some as a brilliant military leader, but his personal and professional life as a slave trader and early Ku Klux Klan leader deserves censure, not commendation. During the war and ever since, Forrest has been highly controversial both here in Tennessee and elsewhere across our nation. I believe the Tennessee State Museum is the right place to provide appropriate context for understanding a complex historical character like Forrest. Moving the bus to the museum will allow for telling the story of his life with historical and educational context. Displaying his bust in the Capitol suggests to all visitors that he re represents the values of our state and that his life is worthy of emulation. It is not. Nathan Bedford Forrest is unquestionably one of the most divisive figures in Tennessee history. That, combined with the statements made here today, convinces me that there is a material or a substantial need for the waiver based on historical and compelling public interest. Therefore, I will be voting in favor of the motion. Thank you, Commissioner Branson. Anybody else want to be recognized? Mr. Sawyer. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Healy. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say how much I appreciate the, the thoughtful comments on all sides of, uh, of this issue. I uh, certainly appreciate the comments from the governor, uh, our honorable members of the General Assembly, and uh, my colleagues here on the commission, and, uh, and the comments brought forth by Tennesseans. Uh, I, like Commissioner Branscombe, uh, really worked hard to read uh, most of the emails that came to me, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's thousands. And, uh, but I believe the greatest thing that we can do as leaders when faced with dynamic decisions 
is to listen and to understand. And that's what I've been trying to do. And that's what I've tried to do in preparation for my vote and in preparation for this meeting. And one thing that I do know is that the history, uh, both the good and the bad, helps inform the decisions of today and will help inform the critical decisions that we make together uh, for tomorrow. Uh, but the decision to remove the Nathan Bedford Forest bus from the state capitol is not entirely about history. Uh, the decision today is more about the future. Uh, it's about the ideas and the people that our government chooses to promote, to celebrate, and to exalt in our public civic spaces in very public ways and where every citizen connects. So after thoughtful consideration, my vote uh, today will be to remove the Bedford Forest bus from the Capitol in support of the motion that's on the floor. Uh, I truly believe that after listening to and understanding the passionate opinions on all sides of the issue, the removal of the bus from the Capitol will put Tennessee on a path to racial reconciliation. As a state and a nation, we're always trying to grow to become better. And this is one of the many reasons that we are the greatest country on earth. Removal of the bus from the state capitol will not delete history or erase history. It will, however, help further cement the foundation on how we envision our future. And while that is an ever-evolving journey, my hope is that our vote today will help facilitate further growth in the way that we think and act on issues that surround race. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other comment? Pattern? Yes, sir. First, um, I want to say thank you to uh, everybody that has taken the time to thoughtfully consider this, no matter what, uh, what your perspective. I think this process of deliberation and this process of collaboration is important. I think it represents uh, where we are hopefully as a nation now and going forward that we could sit down at a table together, that we could talk through a difficult issue, that we could make important decisions. Um, I received a lot of communication too and one of the things that struck me was the speech that Nathan Bedford Forrest made to the Society of Pole Bearers. It's been mentioned a few times. And he said in that speech, I come with the jeers of many whites. They think I'm wrong. What struck me about that was he went against his base. He did something that was fundamentally unpopular because he thought, and maybe if we're speaking of redemption, maybe at the end of his life, they said he was about 98 pounds. He could barely stand up. He only lived to the age of about 56. And he started to reconsider his life, at least from what I studied. But whenever there is redemption, there is a turning away from something to turn toward something else. And he fundamentally, if you take that narrative, changed positions. He moved to a new position. The man himself moved to a new position. There are 32 monuments 
or remembrances or placards to Nathan Bedford Forrest in the state of Tennessee, 32. If he, as a man, could fundamentally change position to move to a context that would tell the whole of his story, why then couldn't a bust change positions to tell the story of his whole story? This would not be a move to erase history. Otherwise, you wouldn't spend $160 million building a state-of-the-art, almost national-worthy museum that enshrines in the museum a separate section for the Civil War where each of the ornaments in that museum is lit. In other words, to show you in great relief not only the images, but to tell the stories in context. If you look at the origin story of the bust itself and how it came to be in the Capitol, it didn't come there as a result of some great move of the state of Tennessee to honor a particular legacy in a certain way. Senator Douglas Henry said there needed to be balance. You've got a Union admiral here, then there should be a Confederate general there. This was a move that had something to do with something else, and it was in the 70s. As I thought about it, and I, if, you, if you buy that narrative, what, what I landed on was people are different. They, they are complex. They, they have good, they have bad, they have ugly, and boy, there's some ugly. God is the one who un, uh, renders the ultimate judgment on our lives. He did reach out to the thief on the cross. So all of that is part of the story. But if he could move, why can't the bust? If he could move, if you buy that he moved, why couldn't you move the bust? This is not erasing history. We don't erase history. History is what it is. But we do revise and update. You get the update on your phone, you hit it. So it is in my interest that we keep the whole of history. Um, I thought about this. I spent about six months studying all of the minutia. I confess to everybody in this room that I am a nerd through and through. I've read everything you could read from all sides, because I wanted to know for myself. I wanted to move from ignorance, what I didn't know, to informed, to hopefully inspired. And I thought about my grandfather. I am a son of this state. I don't exist without this state. He was an orphan in the steel home for children in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was taken in, he was found under a porch, dehydrated. His little brother had passed away, he had been abandoned, and he was taken in by a white woman in the streets of Chattanooga, raised in an orphanage. The first iteration of which was burned down because she had the audacity to reach out to little black children. My father was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Nathan Bedford Ford said, we're of the same soil, we breathe the same air, why can't we live together as brothers? We don't exist without this state. 
But what I hope is that as fellow citizens of this state, we can recognize that if we recognize every person in this state, the state is better. That we will tell the whole story of the history of our state and we'll tell it in the most appropriate place. And that our decision today is not a decision to erase history, it is a decision to tell history, maybe even to make history. So today, um, I will support the governor. Um, I'll support the governor and, and should place this bust in context. Senator Jackson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman and, and members of the commission. It's good to be with you uh, this morning and I've really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation that, that we've been having. And interestingly, over the last, I guess, 72 hours or so, I've been having this very same conversation with my 32 colleagues in the Tennessee State Senate. And, uh, and some of those conversations took place via some brief text messages. Some of them were hour-long conversations <laughs> that got into uh, deep uh, discussions about history, philosophy, social justice, and so forth. Um, but it was, it was a, an important exercise. I serve on this commission as a member of the Senate, and I represent the Senate here today. And my vote will represent the will of the Senate. But I want to explain that before I, I cast the vote. I polled the members of the state senate, and as I did so, I found something that's very consistent with what we've heard here today, the hundreds and hundreds of calls and emails that we've all received over the last uh, several days, and that people are very passionate on all sides uh, of this particular issue. And those who are very passionate about removing the bust, those who are passionate about either leaving it, those who are passionate about not moving it when we've got social unrest taking place across the country and statues are being torn down. And is this the right time to, to do that? And I will, I will cut to the chase and within the state Senate, there were 19 votes to not remove. There were 14 votes to remove. Uh, we had this similar vote uh, about three years ago, Mr. Chairman, and I was a member of the commission at that time as well and I went through a similar exercise. Um, but I want to say how proud I am of my fellow senators, including two that are here today, Senator Hensley and Senator Gilmore, um, for taking time to be here. And, uh, but I also want to say to the others that are not here but, but did take time to speak with me over the last few days. Some of them I spoke to many times. Some of them told me they felt one way and then they called me back the next day and say, I've changed my mind. And so it's, uh, you know, the process is important and I respect the process, and I certainly respect Governor Lee, and I respect this body. Um, but I also respect my Senate colleagues, and, uh, and I'll be voting according to that. Uh, in closing, Mr. Chairman, I'm not compelled to do that. I'm not compelled to uh, pull my members and vote according to their wishes, but I felt it was important. I felt like it was important to have that conversation with all of the members of my body that, uh, that I respect so much, and, and I'll be voting accordingly. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Johnson. Um, we're going to take a 15-minute a um, break right now. Actually, we're going to start back here at, uh, yes, 11.15. Um, we've got several members that are 
part of the uh, Tennessee Building Commission. We've got the speakers uh, on the line waiting for us right now. So we're gonna we're gonna take a break anyway. Give uh, I know we've got a couple of more people who want to speak, and so we'll take a short break and start back at 11:15. To secede from the union. In fact, it has been said that the great state Tennessee provided more regiments to the Union than every other Confederate state combined. Tennessee was then and is today a state made up of citizens with diverse, strongly held opinions, all believing that they are in the majority. If you doubt it, I'll invite you to read the hundreds of emails that I've received. While we make history this day, our action, our vote, will have no impact on the history of the flawed individual that we debate. Whatever our vote, it will not change, revise, or alter history made before our times. Neither will our vote feed one hungry child, pay the salary of one teacher, fix one pothole on a state highway, liberate even one of our drug-addicted neighbors, or protect one citizen from predatory lenders. Governor Lee said, symbols matter. And I might add, symbols inspire and provide that which we aspire to be and do. Symbols established and well-established do not need explanation. If symbol-splaining is necessary, by definition, that object may be a historic educational device, but an inspirational, aspirational mark, it is not. If a debate is required, if further explication would be useful, if politics or politics are needed, the object is not a symbol to be held in high esteem, much less one that should occupy the highest, most laudable location in the Grand Divisions. We must remove the historical artifact and move it to the History Museum. With that said, a few years ago, I stumbled across a story of General Lee surrendering to General Grant at Appomattox to end the war. It is said that General Lee slowly mounted his horse. General Grant watched on and two men locked eyes and General Grant raised his hat in salute and his officers did likewise. General Lee in turn lifted his, his own hat in return and rode away. The two men tipped their hats in honor and respect to one another. And I pray this day that we learn from this history. I pray that we find the strength to honor one another, to respect one another, to tip our hats to one another, to live out our true Southern heritage and hospitality, to invite a neighbor with a different opinion or a different skin hue, to invite a neighbor to enjoy some Prince's hot chicken, Reggie's barbecue, Jackson, 
or a slice of City Cafe hummingbird pie with a sip of your favorite beverage. While we discuss our history, our heritage, as citizens, as brothers and sisters, as inhabitants in this great state that we have. Dr. Logan. Representative Hill, are you still with us? And uh, just wanted to ask if you had any comments at this time. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I do not have any additional comments to add. I appreciate everyone that has given uh, testimony, uh, those that have shared their comments and their concerns and the voices that have been raised. Uh, I too, as Senator Johnson indicated before our brief recess, uh, am here to uh, represent the House of Representatives today. And uh, that will be my intention uh, when I cast my vote at the appropriate time. Thank you. I'm Trilla Wilson. Uh, yes, uh, I'd like to make the uh, following amendment to this motion and, and then set forth the reasons for it. Uh, I move that the motion be amended by add adding the following two items, that the statutes of Admiral uh, Farragut and Admiral Gleaves also be moved from the second floor of the state capitol to the Tennessee State Museum statutes along with the bust of Lieutenant Gov uh, General Forrest to be made part of an exhibit to be exhibit uh, to be to be established honoring Tennessee's military heroes and that the alcoves vacated after these three items are moved be filled with items commemorating state or federal elected officials from Tennessee or events directly related to actions or activities that have occurred on the second floor of the state capitol as determined by the Tennessee General Assembly. Now, the hey, uh, you, do we want to get a second? Motion. Let's go ahead and get a second yes, on the floor. Okay, go ahead. Got a second. Uh, now this seconded bus, by now this Secretary Hargett. Sorry, okay. uh, now, this bus was placed on the second floor of the Capitol and is opposite uh, Admiral Farragut as a result of a 1973 resolution, uh, and it was there to recognize General Forrest's military achievements, accomplishments, for, for that reason and no other reason. Uh, the language of the resolution, clear and unambiguous, and it was unanimously adopted by the Tennessee General Assembly, both houses. Uh, but a portion of our population have come to view this statute as something very different. And in my view, as a very practical matter, it's unlikely that the original focus and the original intent cannot be effectively appreciated today. And likewise, the significance of Admiral Farragut and Admiral Gleaves is, is lost. And the reason for this motion really is to celebrate the uh, fabulous military history of the state of Tennessee. Over, over Mountain Boys at uh, Revolutionary War, Andrew Jackson at uh, Battle of New Orleans, David Crockett at the Alamo, General Gleaves at 
Manila Bay. The uh, New York, World War II, World War I. Eight awardees of the Congressional Medal of Honor in the Second World War. Korea, Desert Storm, the list goes on. You know, we are the volunteer state. And General Farragut and, I mean, Admiral Farragut and, uh, and, and General Forrest are a part of this, and, and both of them are recognized internationally for their military genius. Uh, and this is, that's a material interest. Uh, in doing so, it is based on history and the public interest. Uh, I think the museum knows how to present this, this magnificent history, which in my view, regrettably, cannot be adequately presented on the second floor of the Capitol. And I, I further believe that the Tennessee General Assembly is the appropriate body to decide who should be honored on the second floor. That should be limited to, to uh, elected state and federal officials, as well as those activities and events that are, are connected to that space or that or, or, or to the General Assembly. I don't have a vote on, I wouldn't have a vote on this, but, but if I did, I, I certainly would cast my vote, one of the, one of the alcoves I put Doug Henry in. Not so much for his real efforts on the financial integrity and stability of the state, but, but really for all he's did, done in, in his life to protect Tennesseans who are unable to protect themselves. And let me say, and I've gotten emails like some of you others, that the 1973, to those who say that the 1973 resolution was designed for white supremacy or something, some sort of nonsense like that, simply, those who say that are simply misinformed. Um, that's really saying that the, uh, it w that the Black Caucus, which unanimously, without dissent, voted for the resolution, and it's completely language of the, uh, of the resolution itself. Um, thank you all. Okay, so um, I'm, uh, I'm a, yes. I got a question, I just want to. Okay, hold on just a minute. Uh, let me. Let me just establish uh, where we are parliamentary-wise, um, because and we'll have we'll have discussion and question in just a moment. Uh, so where we are, we've got a motion made and properly seconded uh, to amend the motion that I made and was seconded. So we're we're going to have discussion on the amendment. We'll vote on the amendment, and then we'll go to the main motion and vote on the main motion as amended. Okay. It's amended. Yeah. Yes. So uh, that's correct. So um, we'll open the floor now for discussion. Uh, Secretary Harvey. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, just I, I want to make sure I heard you correctly because I know that Representative Whitson had written an op-ed last week that I found of great interest, and it sounds similar to it. Um, your motion is to go to the State Museum to create an exhibit. Um, that op-ed called for the military 
branch of our state museum, which I think most people probably don't know exists right now, but hopefully after one of these days when the economy turns back around and we would be able hopefully to bolster that as the War Memorial Building is renovated and, um, and maybe we should be bolstering the collections of those to include other military heroes. But I want to make clear, you're, you're talking about the State Museum, not the military branch of the State Museum. Is that correct, State Museum, yeah. Okay. the decisions, yes. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll support the motion. I have a, I have a comment. Um, Valerie. Just as a – I just want to make sure that I'm right about history as well. Sure. 30s and 40s, isn't it – so Admiral Farragut, Gleaves, I believe Mari – they were part of an idea of a hall of heroes anyway. A hall of, of naval heroes. Is what hall of naval heroes. And so the, we ended up with these busts to put in these al alcoves, not because that was the original intent. The intent was they were going to have a hall of heroes. And when that failed, when it didn't materialize, you had busts and you put them there. How Murray left, I never could figure it out. There for the uh, gallery of naval heroes yeah. is, is what it was, and uh, uh, for some reason, uh, Mari was was moved. Nobody can figure out exactly why, and it, it, and the whole original concept uh, was. Seems like we're circling back to the original intent anyway, which was to honor military heroes. Separate context. I'm just just noting. Uh, be, uh, you want to be recognized that's, before that's the, before I recognize idea. Mr. Gentry. I've got a follow-up question for that as well, uh, Comptroller, and, and that is: is, is your motion is, is to honor military, not 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 solely naval? Is that, is no, that no, correct? Alvin York ain't no Navy guy. I'm just making. I'm just making sure that the, from the original intent, the original intent of naval is not necessarily carried forward. No, uh, Mr. Gentry, you're recognized. Uh, I'd like to get a little uh, clarity on this. Uh, to be clear, I came here today to vote to remove the forest bus from the second floor to the State Museum. What you're proposing sounds good as long as the State Museum is ready to take all three bus. And if this in any way delays us being able to move through the process from the commission to the historic commission to, to the museum, uh, I have a problem with that. And so as much as I would love to see us all together voting uh, as one body to do this, um, if as long as the forest bus move does not get delayed as a result of it, uh, I would be okay with it. Now, I see everybody scurrying, uh, talking to the museum. I'm on the uh, museum foundation board, and that would not be my board. But 
the fact is that have you had discussions with the museum uh, and are you comfortable that they're ready to take three instead of one and do what you're proposing? I am not. Uh, I am comfortable. Uh, I have had questions on this, and I'm not at all sure that they're prepared to take take forward. So I'm not sure. Well, I'm all whatever the, the historical commission says. I mean, that's, uh, I, I don't believe it's going to delay anything at all. But, uh, but that's. I, I think they're prepared to take forest. Yeah, well. I think they were prepared to take forest three years ago. Um, and so we might be able to get an answer. I see the yeah, direction. We've, we've got um, representative from the museum board. Please, please come forward. Uh, without objection, uh, the committee members will, will hear. Please state your name and. Yes. Hi, uh, I wasn't prepared to speak today. Um, I'm Ashley Howell, Executive Director of the Tennessee State Museum. Thank you, Ashley. So, so uh, the question becomes one of uh, delay in, in potentially uh, accepting the bus one or three. Um, do, you, do you see any issues with, with doing that? I don't see any issues in accepting the bus. Um, just a point to make, these bus are within State Museum collection, so this would be a relocation to the State Museum. Um, in terms of display, specifically as it relates to military history and the War Memorial and the military branch, we will just need some time to... Uh, think about that. So as long as that time frame is uh, open and that we're able to appropriately plan for that, work with state partners on that, um, that is the job of the state museum. And so we're willing to to take that on, but I think we would just need to uh, appropriately plan um, for that time frame, for those costs, and um, for that space. So all three busts are currently part of the museum now? Correct. Correct. So it's not changing anything from that standpoint. It's just location. And just to uh, follow up on uh, Mr. Gentry's question regarding, have you all had conversations also about um, the forest bust and what could be done with it? Uh, specifically in thinking about the forest bust, and of course knowing that this has been discussed um, and with the State Museum being a part of those conversations, um, I, we do have thoughts about where the bus could go on display within the interpretation of the State Museum. Uh, of course, uh, we don't know how much the bus weighs, and so there's some logistics uh, in that. Um, but we do have a commitment, uh, especially with the amount of conversation around the bus, to, to really think about how do we display that and how do we display that uh, to facilitate conversation within the context uh, of the bus. So um, that's our job. And so we're here to support the Capitol Commission. We're here to support the Historical Commission and their decisions. Um, and so we will figure out that path forward.
questions, Mr. Chairman? No, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Thank you. Well, I have a question. So, so just to clarify, you're talking about the timeline for setting up an exhibit. Correct. Not the timeline Correct. for actually moving the bus. Correct. Okay. Correct. Because you could actually accept it before uh, displaying it. Correct. Okay. Okay. Correct. You As could accept all three. Correct. Correct. Okay. And I guess just a, a point of clarification there, if this commission and as it, if it goes to the historical commission, if, the, if that is what is decided today, if, if both commissions are okay, that we, we may have to um, think about that time frame specifically in terms of display and interpretation, it is a process and we want to make sure we do it right. And that we do have, have, um, the, the appropriate scholars a part of that process. Questions of the museum? Very good. Um, any, any other uh, questions from members? Uh, Representative Hill, any, any questions from you, discussion? Okay, here's if you guys could, in the back, make sure the Representative Hill is unmuted so that he can speak if he so desires. Yes, okay. I'm, I'm yes, still sir. just a, a little confused about um, the, uh, the timing, the timing of this as it goes to Historical Commission. I mean, uh, to Mr. Gentry's comments, I mean, what, um, you know, we really came here to talk about the the forest bus today and I'm just I'm a little I would like to hear a little bit more um, about uh, how, how this plays out with historic does this go over as a package of moving three bust or uh, yeah so so what will happen is you've got the amendment that we're about to vote on depending on the uh, the outcome of that amendment passing then we'll pass the main motion or not uh, depending on how that um, outcome is and it would come over then as a uh, duly um, acted um, motion of this body and there is an entire process that the historic commission we've got to have 60 days notice prior to um, getting the petition to them um, within 60 days not of today but 60 days before they hear it so there's a there's a lengthy process that uh, the historic Commission uh, is required to go through to make sure that we meet all of those standards and so part of our motion includes that um, making sure that we're meeting all of those standards and so then it would go to the historic commission and then you know honestly at that time it's out of our hands so you know what's required of this commission today uh, is to act um, on approval or, or, or not um, of the motion that's before us and that's really that's really all we can do at this point that sets everything else in motion with the historic commission and the action that they may or may not take right all right so we're we are on the amendment um, and so uh, this is yes sure you read uh, well You want to read it? I'll read it here. Yeah, you got it. Uh, the, the amendment states um, 
that the statues of Admiral Farragut and Admiral Gleaves also be moved from the second floor of the state capitol to the Tennessee State Museum with these two statues along with the bust of Lieutenant General Forrest to be made part of the exhibit to be established honoring Tennessee's military heroes. And that the alcoves vacated after these three items were moved to be filled with items commemorating state or federal elected officials from Tennessee or events directly related to actions or activities that have occurred on the second floor of the state capitol as determined by the Tennessee General Assembly. So the amendment states directly as an amendment to the main motion, the main motion include, included General Forrest. This motion adds to that Admiral Farragut and Admiral Gleaves. I'm sorry. No. Go ahead. Okay, only other concern I have is, is there a way to up the amendment that allows the forest bus to go in the event that the historic commission doesn't agree with three going. Uh, I just, I'm concerned that, that we are in a position now, we came here to talk about the forest bus and we're in a position where there's a possibility, a great possibility that this can be moved to the museum, which I think is a great idea. But we're also possibly creating a scenario that might not be accepted by the Historic Commission. And is there a way to construct this where the Historic Commission has a, a choice of taking the forest bus and not taking the other two uh, or taking all three of them. I don't know if, I, I don't know if you're asking for him to uh -huh. change his uh, uh, amendment. I, yeah, so I think in my interpretation, I'll, I'll this is my interpretation, and we can ask legal. My interpretation of of the action of this body is that uh, we're we're simply taking the action of this body to accomplish removal of these three. I don't I don't think that you know it certainly doesn't um, whether it's one or three. The historic commission will take whatever action it wants based on their own volition I mean so I don't I don't see I don't see one or three impeding or making a difference it, we've certainly we've already heard from the from the museum I don't think it makes a difference to them it certainly enhances it I think it could enhance um, the museum having you know more more than more than one um, so but this is my personal opinion uh, I think that the historic commission is going to take whatever action it takes based upon 
what they want to do and whether it's Nathan Bedford Forrest by himself or whether it also includes Admiral Gleaves and Admiral Farragut, I, I don't see them doing anything differently. But um, I, I, I think what, what Howard's concerned about, I don't mean to speak for you, is is there a binding effect? In other words, if we ask for a waiver for three versus one, when they receive that and they look at it, are they bound to make a vote on all three or no vote at all? Am I, am I? So, or so, one. Right, are, are they bound See, to receive I, this as a package of busts that have to be decided on when the primary issue was Nathan Bedford Force, or could they receive that and go, Am I, am I reading? Christy Allen may, may be able to advise on that. My name's Christy Allen. I'm counsel to the commission. Um, I, having not been through this process with the historical commission before, I can't say for certain. But what I can tell you is that if the amendment to the motion passes and then the main motion passes, a single petition for waiver would be prepared. And that gets filed with supporting documents and a basis for the petition, and that gets filed with the Historical Commission. And 60 days later, the Historical Commission hears it. When the Historical Commission hears the matter, it conducts a brand new hearing. It's called a de novo hearing. So in other words, it's not as if it were an appeal of a Capital Commission action. It is a brand new hearing. So my assumption is, again, having not been through this with, with that entity before, my assumption is that at that time, that commission could take whatever action it deems appropriate, whether it's one or three or none. And Christy, it could do that regardless of, of what we propose. That's right. So that's right. If they will base their, the initiating document will be the petition, but once it gets into that hearing stage, my assumption is the historical commission can act in whatever way it deems appropriate. Right, because it's a, it's, a, it's a new matter, it's a new matter. before it. Okay, thank you. Part so I, I'm sorry to, to get into the weeds on this, but so part of this then would be though, you have to make the compelling argument. There has to be a compelling arg argument to provoke a waiver. The argument will be built on three or one. The, the argument would be built on whatever the record here today is. Any other questions? All right, we're, uh, we're voting on the amendment. This would be Comptroller Wilson's amendment to uh, add the two additional busts in addition to Nathan Bedford Forrest being removed from the Capitol um, into the State Museum. So, uh, Ann, please call the roll. Certainly. Commissioner Ely, how do you vote? Aye. Commissioner Branscombe, how do you vote? Aye. Commissioner Salyers, how do you vote? Aye. Secretary Hargett? Aye. Treasurer Lillard? Aye. Comptroller Wilson? Aye. Senator Johnson? Aye. Representative Hill? Pass. Pass. Pass, okay. Um, Mr. Gentry? Aye. Mr. Hill? Aye. Dr. Hampton? No. We have um, nine voting in favor, one, I think, abstaining, and one voting against. 
Two abstaining. Two, two passes, abstaining. sorry. Two, two abstaining. Two, two abstaining. So eight voting for. Motion two. passes. Yes. All right, now we're back on the main motion as amended. Um, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Recognized? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I prepared these remarks because I have found that sometimes I want to make sure that I say everything I mean to say and don't leave anything unsaid. First, I think it's important for the benefit of those members who were not a part of this body three years ago, of those who have not read the minutes to understand the events of that meeting. While I will not go into every detail, you may not understand that commission members were asked to vote to form a committee that would write a report that would be unedible nor come back to the Capitol Commission for a final vote. I, and I believe other members were very uncomfortable with this process. In addition, some committee members like myself expressed support for Treasurer Lowe's broader plan for a rotation of the bus found the state capitol. That suggestion was not considered. Today, once again, the central figure of our deliberations is a Tennessean who many hailed as a military genius and someone who, according to the commercial appeal coverage of what is known as his poll bearer's speech, sought to seek reconcil racial reconciliation. And I also recognize that today the presence of his bus in the state capitol is a symbol of sin, the sin of slavery, and a source of pain. Now I must decide what to do with bust placed there by legislators of a different time and a different party than myself. While alternatives have been discussed for quite some time about how to deal with this issue that has been a distraction from the affairs of our state, today's meeting is further complicated by people whose method of communicating has not helped but sorely hurt efforts to resolve this issue. I want to make clear that the efforts of a few have weakened the opportunity for those of us seeking healing and unity in attempts to have constructive dialogue. At our 2017 meeting, I told this body of growing up in Lauderdale County and learning about the issue of slavery and looking at my American, African-American classmates and wondering about the lives of their ancestors and how my classmates viewed this period of time. Some will say that's our history. I agree, it is our history. History has to be taught so that we can learn from it. But teaching our history and displaying a bust are not one and the same. Today, my vote will reflect my faith and my desire for Tennessee to move forward. For not only my African-American classmates and those I worked alongside, but most importantly for all Tennesseans, I'm going to vote aye on the final motion today. It would also be my desire that if alcohols become available, that we will find a way to honor the importance of women in our state. Today, none of these alcoves recognize any of the prominently elected women from our state government. I hope this will be strongly considered when the opportunity becomes available. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for indulging me. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Secretary Hargit. Okay, we are back on the main motion. Any other, uh, any other comments or questions? Mr. Gentry. I was also here three years ago and um, my lifelong friend and colleague, Reverend Mitchell was sitting next to me. Um, course he has gone on to glory and I remember quoting the Constitution and 
my stories about going into the Capitol as a child and using colored bathrooms and water fountains and how that affected me. And when I got through speaking, though, uh, Revis whispered to me that uh, I had moved from politician status to statesman. And uh, I guess that's just to tell me that I did a good job. And from Revis Mitchell, if he tells you did a great job speaking, you take that as a compliment because he was amazing. I don't have a statesman's speech today. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not very comfortable. I voted for an amendment that I'm not comfortable with. But I voted for the amendment because I wanna see, I came here today to see the Nathan Bedford Forrest statue moved off the second floor and moved to the museum. And sometimes you have to do some things you're not comfortable with, as long as it's not wrong, to, for your end result. And I just hope and pray that uh, voting for the amendment is not going to in any way impede or deter what my intent was today. And I just want to say that I did talk about my experience as a child in the Capitol. But for those of you who don't really see out of the same lens as some of us, um, I know it was said that Forrest had three to 5,000 uh, black people, I guess it was colored then, at, the, um, at his funeral. You might chuckle at this, but uh, half of them probably were his children or relatives. And if you do chuckle, let me tell you where my perspective comes from. My last name is Gentry. And Gentry was my dad's grandfather's name. He was a slave master. My mother's last name was Laughlin. Laughlin was the name of my mother's grandfather. He was a slave owner. And there were 13 kids on my mom's side and 11 on my dad's, so the numbers grow pretty quick. And so I don't tell this story often. I know Harold did a great job of explaining his um, history. When I see Nathan Bedford Forrest, you can tell me all the things you want to tell me about how he changed it. God bless him, and I hope he's in heaven. But the only thing I see is my great-grandparents. And I'm glad that I had some great-grandparents because at least I'm here to be able to do my job, but I don't see what you see if you tell me that you don't, you just see a hero. Uh, that you uh, see a, a great man that changed. I, I get it, but I see my great-grandparents. I see a rapist and, and slave owners. So that story needs to be told, but it still does not need to be told on the second floor of this capital where we should be seeing freedom and and peace and love and, and togetherness. So I'm gonna vote for the bill as amended, but 
I'm not comfortable with the amendment, but I just hope and pray that the amendment works and that we finally move this uh, bus to a place it belongs and we're able to start a new day on the second floor of the state capitol. Thank you. Mr. Gentry, any other questions, committee members? All right, we're about to take a vote on the main motion and, uh, and please call the roll. Certainly. Commissioner Ely? Aye. Um, Commissioner Branscombe? Aye. Commissioner Sollers? Aye. Secretary of State Hargett? Aye. Treasurer Lillard? Aye. Comptroller Wilson? Aye. Senator Johnson? Aye. Uh, Representative Hill? No. Mr. Gentry? Aye. Mr. Hill? Aye. Mr. Hampton? Aye. We have uh, 10 votes, four. Nine. Nine votes, four, and two votes against. Sorry. Motion passes. Thank you. Um, before, uh, let me ask if uh, there's any other business uh, before the committee today. We have no further business. Uh, do I have a motion for adjournment? So moved. So moved. Um, seconded. Second. Do we have to call the roll for this? Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, boys, uh, all in favor of adjournment say aye. aye. We're adjourned.